0: Welcome to Up Next with Lily and Tim. Hi, guys. Today we're discussing wildlife under threat, and our special guest today is a conservationist and wildlife advocate and all-round good bloke, Mr Ben Dessen. Hey, Ben, you there?
1: Hey, guys, how are you? Thank you for having me on the podcast today.
0: Thanks very much, mate. Thanks very much. Looking forward to chatting about wildlife. I'll throw it to Lily.
2: So tell us about your passion about animals.
0: For sure. So
1: I guess... For me, it's sort of always been something that's been a massive part of my life, working with and you know being totally surrounded by animals. Um, but I think what really sparked my my lifelong passion was uh, when I got a, a pet snake for my sixth birthday. Um, so my parents Aww. bought me a, a little pet pet children's python. It was very cute. It was literally the size of a, a little worm when I got it. Uh, and you know, being a six-year-old kid obsessed with animals, that was the best thing ever. I just, uh, just sort of decided at that point I wanted to dedicate my whole life to working with animals and you know, trying to do the best I could to, to protect them and, and help them. Um, and, yeah, it's sort of gone from there. And I've, I've worked with animals my whole life. I've studied animals. I've travelled around the world, uh, working with lots of different types of animals. i um, met some pretty cool people along the way as well.
2: Wow. That sounds really cool.
0: <laughs> now, Ben, yeah, wild, awesome. ben wildlife is a bit under, is under threat at the moment, an immense threat, really, isn't it, in both Australia and, and globally? Can you, can you tell us about that? What are we sort of facing as a, as a race at the moment as far as our dealings with the wildlife out there?
1: Absolutely. So, I mean, I guess wildlife is in a, in a pretty bad way at the moment and, you know, the environment as a whole as well. Um, but I think for our animals in particular, it's sort of put it down to three main uh, main threats, I guess, globally. And I think the, the primary one is habitat destruction. Uh, you know, our wildlife are losing their habitat, losing their homes at a, a very, very fast rate. Uh, and, you know, it doesn't seem to be slowing down. So I think, you know, that's the, the, the primary threat to our wildlife. But there's also the, the illegal wildlife trade. Um, so there is a, a big black market trade in, in wildlife where people go out and they, you know, take animals from the, the environment and they ship them all over the, the globe to sell them for, you know, for pets or for, for body parts and those sorts of things. So that's also putting a massive pressure on our, our endangered species. Um, and then the third thing I think is climate change. You know, that's a, a big issue that's impacting not only our wildlife but all of us. And you know, we've seen that most recently with the, the massive bushfires we've had here in Australia. Um, but yeah, between those three main issues, I think they're the yeah definitely putting a huge amount of pressure on our uh, wildlife and our ecosystems
0: I I guess as as humans in general we've really got to step up our game haven't we because I I, I guess with you say with climate change and with the 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 illegal sort of trade and these and these sort of foreign medicines and things kicking in we're we're really taking a toll on, on wildlife in general aren't we
1: that's right absolutely I mean you know just this year we've seen some some pretty terrific things happen right around the world I mean the bushfires were sort of the culmination of of climate change over many, many years. And, you know, now we've got the the whole COVID-19 pandemic which sort of sparked from the illegal wildlife trade. And that was from people, you know, trading in in animal parts. And um, then this virus has jumped into into the human race. So, you know, by putting an end to these things, we're not only going to be able to protect wildlife, but we're also going to be able to help and, and protect ourselves as well.
0: Ben what are some of the the global species that are currently under threat of extinction what what are we talking about I mean I I know we hear things like some of the rhinos uh, you know with the the horns and that sort of stuff what are we we talking about I guess in our own backyard first and globally what are some of those animals that are under serious threat at the moment
1: for sure. I mean, I think today there's, there's not really any animal species that's not under some sort of threat from, from uh, you know, human related causes. But, you know, you see those those really iconic species that you mentioned, you know, you see the, the rhinos and orangutans, tigers, pandas, all those sorts of things that are, you know, critically endangered. And, and they're, you know, really important species that we need to protect. And because they're so iconic and so recognizable around the world, they, they act as really good ambassadors because, you know, to protect an orangutan, for example, and its habitat, you're also protecting all the other species that rely on that habitat and there are a lot of endangered species that are I guess they get a lot less of the the, the public attention things like uh, you know little insects and there's endangered fish species and frogs and reptiles Um, you know not everyone is as, as excited to protect an endangered snake or an endangered frog as they are to you know protect an endangered panda or an orangutan so all species are under threat and you know right here in our own backyard we've got a a lot of our native, native animals that are really, really feeling the pressure, um, particularly since the bushfires. You know, they, they think, experts think that there's going to be a couple of species that have been either pushed to the edge of extinction or have become extinct as a, a direct result of the, the recent bushfires.
0: I mean you, you've talked about sort of amphibians and thing, and insects and stuff as well I guess as a kid growing up I always thought about some of those tiny marsupials that sort of feral cats would wipe out there's a lot of species as I say in our own backyard aren't we that we, that we don't always know about or don't sort of I, I guess have, have enough media attention to know what's really going on with their their, um, their rates of extinction in this country.
1: For sure, for sure. I mean, you know, Australia's got an amazing diversity of of wildlife, but uh, unfortunately since European settlement, over 40 species of native mammal uh, have become extinct already and there's many more that are right on the edge of extinction. Um, And as you mentioned, a lot of those species are are animals that I think most everyday Australians have probably never even heard of or let alone seen before. Uh, You know, things like little antichinus and uh, little puffy gales and all these amazing little marsupials that are literally the size of a mouse. Um, that are really important in the in the ecosystem, but uh you know are really feeling the pressures from uh, not only habitat destruction but also introduced predators like cats and foxes and those sorts of things as well
0: now, now you've you've got a little uh, you've, a little it's 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 a few acres out there anyway out there and out there in the um outskirts of sydney um can you can you sort of tell us what you 've set up there
2: yeah, so tell us about yeah. your sanctuary
1: absolutely so. Uh, my brother and I, Sam, we've been living in a a wildlife sanctuary out in uh, in northwest Sydney for the last uh, four and a half, five years now. Uh, And it's a sanctuary that's been there for for over 40 years. So it was established a long time ago by a very passionate lady who uh, wanted to protect particularly kangaroos. That was her main passion, but really all wildlife. Uh, And yeah, Sam and I sort of moved in as the sanctuary caretakers a couple of years ago and um, was sort of helped to to fix up the sanctuary and, and sort of Keep the facilities up to scratch and, and keep rescuing and, and caring for all kinds of native wildlife. So, we get things like kangaroos and wallabies, but we also do reptiles, birds, bats, possums, uh, all sorts of animals come through, and the, the primary goal is to, to rehabilitate them and then release them and get them back out into the wild.
2: Wow, so what are some of the species that you are caring for at the sanctuary?
1: Um, so at the moment we have, there's 11 kangaroos and wallabies that, that live there and, and some of those are in uh, temporary care and they're going to be released over the coming months, uh, but then some of them are, are unreleasable. So there's a few that have you know, been hit by cars and had some pretty terrible injuries where they, they wouldn't really be able to survive and fence themselves out in the wild, but you know, instead they get to live in a beautiful, uh, we've got about seven acres of bushland that's fenced in. Uh, It's kind of like a a safe haven for them. So they can be protected from predators and those sorts of things. And they get lots of good, nutritious food and and vet care and and all that sort of stuff. But, um, yeah, they sort of live live out their days in the the sanctuary. Um, So we've got some pretty big plans over the the coming years. We want to really take the sanctuary to to the next level, uh, particularly in light of the the recent bushfire um, devastation. We want to be prepared. So even when there's a things for bushfires, we'll be able to take in more animals and help many, many more species
0: and mate, I, I think some of the the lesser known ones you got there. I mean I, I've been out there to, to your place and it's fantastic and you guys are doing a great job out there and I think uh, Oh, thank you. And things like the, the, the you got a green tree frog, but the other day on your Instagram mate, I, I think I was, I was talking to a friend of mine Glenn yesterday and we we were fascinated by the, the size of the the, well, the the frog you found and those, those tadpoles you found in a muddy pond <laughs> out there. That, that was pretty that was pretty special. is you Tell us about those those little fellas.
1: Absolutely. So, um, yeah, we, we had a bit of rain on the last month or so, and there were some puddles on our, our driveway. Uh, and you know, We're right out in the, in the middle of the bush, so there's quite a few you know, native animals that, that just live around there anyway. Uh, and, yeah, found these tadpoles in the puddle, and you know the puddle was quickly drying up in the sun, and it was just a matter of days before it would be gone. So, uh, yeah, we caught up the, the little taddies and, and sort of been looking after them for the last couple of weeks, and they've just started to morph into frogs. Uh, and it was amazing. They actually they've morphed into what's called a, a red-crowned toadlet, uh, which is a, an endemic species, so it's found nowhere else in the world except for around the Sydney Basin. Uh, and it's a, a vulnerable species, so it's a tiny little toadlet. It's a, you know, the size of your, your little finger, um, and it's got this beautiful red crown on the top of its head. Uh, but yeah, definitely uh, habitat destruction and uh, you know, climate change have been putting the pressures on that species. So we're very, very happy to find that they're happy and thriving on our property. So great to, to be able to release those little guys back into the wild.
0: Is it fair to say if the frogs have disappeared, then then nature's in trouble? Is, are, they, are they a real sort of, I guess, um, barometer for, for, for um, change and, and, and ch- adverse change, I guess, in, as far as the, um, the, uh, not the, not just the climate, but the uh, conditions that they're, they're facing at the moment?
1: Absolutely, yeah. I mean, amphibians and frogs in particular are great environmental indicators. Um, so if you've got frogs that are happy and thriving in an ecosystem, you know, it's just a pretty good sign that that ecosystem's doing quite well. Uh, but as soon as your frogs start to, to drop off, definitely there's something going on, and it could be, you know, pollutants in the, in the waterway, uh, or, you know, there could be uh, there's various diseases and, and um, uh, funguses that are affecting our amphibians. There's a terrible fungus called the chytrid fungus, which is uh, actually wiping out amphibian populations right around the world. And it basically goes through and it affects the frogs and, and, and kills the frogs and kills the tadpoles, and they're, they're unable to, to reproduce. So, yeah, 100% frogs are a really important environmental indicator for us.
0: What can we do as, as far as protecting some of the world's frogs? I mean, at where we are, Ben, is where the, uh, the golden bell frog is and I think they've, they've certainly changed how they approach the environment here. They've been chopping any sort of trees and, and left logs and they've created ponds and things around Sydney Olympic Park. Um, what, el- what else can we do? You, you say you're mentioning all, all the fungus and things. What can, we, what can we actually do, um, the general population, do to pre- sort of preserve animals and, and uh, as small and as delicate, I guess, as fragile as the, um, as the frogs are?
1: Yeah, I think, I think the best thing when you're trying to sort of think about what you can do directly to, to preserve wildlife is, is, is start small. You know, it's really easy to sort of get bogged down and feel a little bit hopeless about, you know, all the stuff you see on the media and on the news about the fires and all species becoming endangered. And you sort of feel like, you know, what, what can I really do that's going to make an impact? But if you start small and you think, okay, what can I do right here in my own backyard uh, that's going to make an impact, even just for the local species in my area, that's a really, really good uh, place to start because if everyone does those little little things in their own lives to, to make a difference. Uh, lots of those little impacts have a, have a, a much greater impact overall as you send out those, those ripples of change. So you know, things people can do are you know, encouraging wildlife into your yard, something as simple as building a little frog pond or you know planting some native plants that have uh, you know, beautiful flowers like revillias and bottle brush that will bring in native birds. Um, all of those sorts of things can make a, a really good difference for the, just the wildlife in your local area. Um, and then, you know, you can sort of think bigger, bigger scale as well by, you know, trying to minimise your environmental footprint and the impact you have on the, on the world. So, you know, things like uh, you're changing your light globes to LED light that uh, use less power, um, put uh, water-saving shower heads on your, on your taps at home to try and minimise your water use, you know, eating less meat that has a, you know impact on, uh, on greenhouse gas emissions. There's lots of little things like that that we can do in our own everyday lives. Um, that will have a, a much greater impact overall.
0: I mean, being an advocate for, for wildlife, mate, how, how are you getting your message across? Are you getting a chance to sort of have a bit of a platform to, to chat to people? And what's, what's the sort of response been?
1: For sure, for sure. I mean, I, I, you know, every single day I'm out there trying to do my little bit to either to educate people or, you know, help, help animals in need. Um, and I think one of the most important things that we can do to, you know, help protect our animals and endangered species is, is education. You know, if people are, are aware of the species that are in need and are aware of, you know, what the threats and the issues are, but also what the solutions are and what can be done, uh, then people can really, you know, step up and, and help to make a change. You know, I've met so many amazing people and particularly children that are so passionate about animals that, you know, want to do a little fundraiser at their school, uh, raise some money to, to donate to various causes and charities that are out there helping wildlife. Uh, there's just there's no limit there's no end to, to what people can do and you know, really it's just that passion and drive that you need to have and then you know the sky's the limit really with what you can do and what you can achieve
0: they need to bit another thousand of you mate
1: <laughs> <laughs> well look believe me there's plenty and plenty of young people out there and that, that's what gives me hope and what gives uh, all of us hope really for the future is that how many young, passionate people are out there, lots of kids that want to make a change. And I think really we are in a, a really good place at the moment because you know, whilst the animals and the environment is, is suffering, uh, there's always hope and there's always something that can be done whilst there are those passionate people out there willing to, to give it a go.
2: So you've also been to Borneo to help with orangutan orphans. Tell us about that experience.
1: Yeah, so that was, that was amazing. That was, uh, happened when I, I graduated high school in 2010. Uh, and after school, I was very lucky to get involved in a project in Borneo. So I actually went over and, and lived in the jungles of Borneo for uh, on and off for a couple of years and uh, yeah, helped to, to establish an orangutan orphanage. So we're in the, the early stages of setting up a, a sort of a forest school for baby orangutans so that once they've sort of gone through their rehabilitation, they could go out with their carers into the jungle, into the rainforest. Uh, and essentially be re how to be an orangutan, Have to train them how to climb in the trees and what foods they can eat and those sorts of things, how to make a nest because they sleep in nests up in the, the canopies. Uh, and then ultimately, after forest school, the orangutans get released back into the protected rainforest reserve. So incredible experience, absolutely amazing to, to be able to work so closely with, uh, you know, our closest living relatives, the orangutans, uh, but also very, very eye-opening of, you know, how great the destruction is Just the orangutans have lost, you know, between 80 and 90% of their habitat over in, in Indonesia from uh, logging for palm oil and those sorts of things. So, yeah, still a lot more work that needs to be done, but you know, there's great, great organizations and groups and volunteers over on the ground that are making a big difference for orangutans.
0: I mean when I, when I first met you mate and we talked about um, Borneo and, and sort of all those palm oil plantations and stuff I, I guess I mean the first thing I did when I went to the supermarket after that, that Ben I made sure I didn't buy anything with palm oil in, in, in it I looked on the back of jars and bottles and lots of stuff from, from detergents to whatever I, I guess and that's, I guess that's really what the general public needs to do doesn't it it's it sort of think beyond the actual household products and how it can potentially affect uh, the wildlife
1: Absolutely, and I think a lot of people, you know, when I first started doing the work with the orangutans back in 2011,
0: most people I spoke to
1: back home had no idea what palm oil was, let alone how you know that impacted rainforests and and wildlife, you know, in other parts of the world. But I think today, many, many more people are, are well aware of it, which is fantastic. Uh, And, you know, you can understand that simply by uh, being conscious with the uh, product you purchase at the supermarket and making decisions about, you know, this one is is using palm oil that's unsustainable and uh, has directly resulted in in habitat destruction, I'm not going to purchase it, Um, that can make a massive difference. And again, it's that same idea, you know, start with with little things, little actions. If everyone, uh, you know, makes more conscious choices at the supermarket, that can have a much greater impact uh, on, on the environment and on our wildlife as a whole.
0: Yeah, what else? What else can people do, mate? You, you say making sort of impact at the at the shop at the supermarket. What else do you think we can do on a, on a global scale? I mean, it's a it's a big ask, I guess, but not just in in sort of our own backyards, but across the across the globe. I mean, how do, how do we change some of the things that have been around for a long period of time, like the what's been going on with the wet markets in in China and, and places like that? How do, how do we change that mentality? Do you think?
1: Uh, I mean, it's a it's a massive yeah massive issue and a, and a huge huge problem. But I think. You know, the biggest thing we can do is, is definitely put pressure on governments. And I think because of everything that has happened this year with the fires and, and our COVID-19, which has impacted, you know, every country all around the planet, um, you know, this is a really good point when we can sort of have a, a reawakening as such and sort of rethink how we've, we've treated our planet and treated the environment. Uh, and, and, you know, hopefully government's going to be more open to, you know, stopping these sorts of things, the wet markets and the illegal wildlife trade. Um, you know, the biggest thing we can do is, is really stop cutting down habitat. You know, we need agriculture and we need all those sorts of things. We need industry for, you know, for the economy and for the world to survive. But, you know, we don't need to do it at the detriment of, um, of ecosystems and of, of uh, you know, rainforests and those sorts of things. So if we leave what forests are left standing, um, that's one of the biggest things we can do. And then we can start to hopefully regenerate some of the land that has been destroyed. Just, you know, that way, at least some of the animals that are remaining they're going to have those pockets of, of habitat to survive. And um, you know, it's amazing how robust uh, the environment is. You know, we've seen that as well in the last couple of months. You know Animals returning to parts of the world where they, they were you know, once in very small numbers, now that humans have sort of retracted into their homes, giving a chance for animals and the environment to sort of bounce back a little bit. And that's only been in a couple of months. You can imagine if we make some, some big changes, you know, what a couple of years worth of, of changes to do for our, our environment.
0: So I mean, everybody to stay indoors, mate, the skies are clearer, the, 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 sea, seem, the sea seems fresher, you know, you, you, can see, you can see sort of mountains in the background, so you're right, I, I think, look, from a, from a terrible pandemic that we've faced, there's some good things as far as the environment's come out of it. As well, isn't they, mate? it, mate? I mean, does it does it stop with governments? Is that is that where we need to get to, really, as far as I, I guess the advocacy of, of our wildlife here? Do it, sort of, governments need to step up and, and sort of, I guess, stop thinking of the hip pocket and start thinking of the the long term effects of our of our planet, really?
1: Absolutely, and I mean, yeah, definitely, governments will play an important role because you know we, we need governments to to make legislation to um, be more transparent and accountable and protect our environment. But really, at the end of the day, it's going to come down to us. Uh, as, you know, as citizens of, of Australia and of the world, um, you know, individuals have the most power. If, if we really say, right, enough is enough, we want to step up and protect our animals, protect our environment. Uh, that's where the real change is going to come from. And you know, from, from my travels around the world with various conservation projects, it's those amazing people that you meet that have literally, you know, quit quit their lives there. You know, every day, nine to five jobs to go and uh, you know, volunteer in harsh, remote parts of the world. Uh, and really commit their life 100% to you know advocating for and protecting a, a particular species. Those are the people that you know have the, the huge huge impacts and make a real change.
2: So I bet you've met some interesting people who are dedicating their lives to helping animals. Tell us about them.
1: For sure, for sure. I mean, there's, there's so many, so so many people that I've, I've met around the world that just absolutely blow you away with their with their passion. Um, very very inspiring people. You know, I think one of the the people that uh, was such a, an inspiration to me and an idol to me was uh, his name's Dr. Willie Smith. He's a, a Dutch scientist who lived in Indonesia uh, and he lived in Indonesia for, for well over 30 years. And basically, he uh, was over a young uh, teenager in his early 20s uh, studying in Indonesia and he came across an orangutan that had been um, trying to be sold at a market but it was quite thick. So they'd basically just thrown it on a rubbish heap uh, and he was walking through this market and found the baby orangutan that, that was very close to death, and he took it in and he looked after it and sort of ended up nursing it back to health. Uh, and that was his, his sort of moment where he said, right, I'm going to commit my life to protecting orangutans. And over the last 30 years, um, Dr. Smith has, has created all these incredible orangutan rehabilitation centers and orphanages, and uh, he's, you know, protected and, and bought up as much land as he can to use as reserves for releasing them. Um, and he's just an example of, of what one passionate person can do. Uh, and he would, have, he would have been responsible for saving hundreds, if not thousands, of orangutans. Um, just from his his efforts uh, and there's you know there's many people like that and you know I think behind every endangered species there is a champion there is a, a person or a group or a, an organization that's uh, really fighting to, to protect that species and that's what really gives us a hope for the future
0: I mean spending time in the that jungles mate and being inspired by dr. Smith's I mean obviously a lasting a long lasting impact on yourself isn't it and, and do we, do you think we do you think what we should probably try and do is get like, like a subject like I, I guess wildlife advocacy into the schools mate maybe that's a, a way forward to sort of really i, I guess in a science project to really get people i mean the kids that's the future to get them focused on on what can be done
1: Brilliant, yeah, absolutely. I think we should, yeah, look at, let's talk to the Department of Education and <laughs> some, some more conservation into our schools. I think that'd be fantastic. Because, uh, you know, by the kids learning about the endangered species and what can be done, uh, hopefully that's going to really spark them up. And, you know, even if there's, there's some kids that, you know, they, they may not choose to have a, a career path working with animals, at least they've got an appreciation and a respect for them. That's the main thing. And then I'm sure there are going to be some kids that go, hey, you know, I want to really step up and make this my life and, you know, go on to be a scientist or a zoologist or a conservationist. Um, and you know, look at the impact they could have over their lifetime it could be absolutely huge.
0: I mean, besides yourself, mate, what other sort of people have you seen back here in Australia as far as doing doing their, their bit for animals? I mean, we, we can, you can talk about obviously we we mentioned um, had had a chat with with Donna over at um, at Zambi, but also some of the some of the um, people in in this country, all around this country, that have sort of stepped up to sort of put, as I, dedicate their lives to animals, as you suggest.
1: For sure. I mean, yeah, there's, there's people right across the country that are, you know, working uh, tirelessly around the clock to, to help wildlife. Um, you know, it could be just a single wildlife carer that volunteers their time to raise orphan babies and release them back into the wild, right through some of the, to some of the bigger organizations and groups that are doing amazing work. Um, there's a, there's an incredible project called Aussie Arc, um, which is, um, you know, in collaboration and sort of funded by the Australian Reptile Park and Aussie Arc uh, is up in the, the Barrington Top. Uh, and they've, they've purchased huge amounts of, um, of land and then sort of uh, bushland ecosystems up there where they're trying to breed uh, you know, endangered species. So things like the Tasmanian devil uh, is what they started with, but now they're doing all sorts of native mammals like numbats and um, some of the other small native, native marsupials. Um, and their goal is to have these insurance populations so that you know, worst case scenario, uh, if and when, you know, species start to become extinct in the wild and there's, there's just not enough habitat for them. At least they've got these, you know, captive species banks where these animals are living in. You know, essentially the same as their, their natural, natural habitat, but just in sort of fenced-in, predator-proof areas um, where we then have these, these reserves of these species that can then be used to either repopulate areas or, you know, at least that species can, can still live on even if they can't survive in the wild.
2: So what, what can we all do as kids to help animals survive in the wild?
1: For sure. So really, really good question. I think that comes back to that sort of, um, you know, what can we we do as individuals in our own backyard to make a difference? Um, and I think, yeah, as, as kids, the best thing you guys can do is, um, you know, think about the animals in your local area. So and maybe do some research and find what species live nearby. You know, if you guys living out near the the um, green and gold bell frogs. That's an awesome start. Maybe you could look at building a little frog pond in the backyard. Um, you know, introducing some native plants. You know, there's various native grasses and reeds and things like that that can provide awesome habitat for, for local amphibians in your area. Um, and planting those native trees to encourage birds in, putting a little bird bath out so they've got water. Those are all really, really good things. That you might think, hey, it's just a really small, uh, small step, but uh, you know, it can have a have a huge impact. Um, And then, you know, if you want to take it even further, organising fundraisers at school can be really good. You know, pick a a great charity, you know, a charity like Aussie Arts that's doing this amazing work and, um, you know, get together with your friends and try and think of a a really cool fundraiser that you could do at school to to raise a bit of money that you can then donate to one of these charities that are doing incredible work. Because a lot of these charities don't get any government funding. Um, Some do, uh, but the vast majority of them, you know, it's up to them and the money that they can raise to to do this, this good work and have a great impact.
2: Can kids volunteer at your place?
1: Um, one day, yeah. At this stage, we don't have a sort of a volunteer program up and, and running, but that's absolutely the goal is that we can sort of you know, get to that point where we can have volunteers coming through and you know, get kids out there and um, you know, getting some experience with, with animals and conservation. Um, but there are some great programs around that you can do. I know, again, up at the Australian Reptile Park, they do a Kids to Keeper program where you get to go up and sort of see some of the, the breeding programs that they have and sort of have a, a day in the life of a, of a keeper um, doing those sorts of sorts of projects. There's also a really good um, uh, it's a school holiday program called the Future Vet Kids Camp, Um, so it's for kids that are you know potentially interested in being a vet one day but also just wanting to work with any animal and they run those in the January school holidays Uh, and you can also go along for a week and yeah just sort of get a a taste of what it's like to to work with animals so yeah lots of opportunities out there for for passionate kids for sure.
2: So if you've got money to donate from selling your school old school uniform can you donate it to some of the um, wildlife to help them out or your place?
1: Yeah, that'd be a great idea. Absolutely. If you could, you know, even if it's a, you know, $10, $20, $30 just from selling some old uniforms or, you know, running a little fundraiser at school, any, every dollar does count for these organizations. And, you know, that, that money can go towards, you know, feeding animals or, you know, paying for enclosures to be built, paying for releases of animals. There's, you know, there's always a need for, for more funding. So, yeah, I remember when I was in high school and primary school, I, I, every, every term I'd try and come up with a new fundraiser from you know, selling cupcakes all palm oil free um, or you know, right through to running movie nights and um, you know, had little trivia nights and those sorts of things. And you know, through high school, I raised thousands of dollars that I'd sort of disperse and, and donate to various charities. So, yeah, lots of opportunities there. It really just comes down. You've just got to you know, think of a really good idea and, and think of a great charity you want to support and you know, rally your friends together and, and go out there and, and really do your best.
0: Uh, well, I, I guess, mate. I guess we better put a, I, I guess a gang together, and we should go and approach governments. What do you reckon? And, and try and, and try and get this awareness into into the schools, into the education system, hey?
1: Hundred percent. I think, yeah, <laughs> definitely. It's going to come from the kids. So if we can get a uh, petition together and say here's a hundred thousand Australian school kids that want to, you know, step up and, and help make a difference, then that's really going to put the pressure on the government to tighten their legislation around protecting our wildlife.
0: We better go and see Gladys and, and ScoMo, hey? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Let's do it.
0: Ben, thanks very much for your time today, mate. It's been fantastic. No, no fantastic. problem. It's been fantastic, no, no, thanks mate. thanks
1: for having me on and, and thanks for your interest in, and your, your passion as well from you guys and, and for help to help to shine a light on yeah, some of our endangered species, not only here in Australia, but right around the world. Thanks, Ben. Thank you. Thanks, guys.